far from all the comforts of the familiar, we live. Uprooted, evicted, expelled, and excluded, we wake and we work and we wander in a foreign land. Exiled, longing for the sights and sounds and tastes of our true home. But we are not the first ones to wander in the wilderness. We are not the first ones to long for a home we cannot see. For there are stories of faithful men and women who wandered too, but never wandered alone, who can show us how to live a life in exile. Good morning, church. Good to be together. If you're a guest here with us, you're in the right place. If you're worshiping with us online, we are glad that you are here with us uh, today. Uh, listen, we're having a great fall. I love that we're celebrating our birthday again this year. We had so much fun last year. We just said, let's just do it every year, right? Let's just remember, uh, remember our founding, remember the story. So we're going to have fun with that. Uh, also, huge shout out to all of you who were involved in Sanka to Starbucks. Uh, last Monday, we had more than 100 uh, ladies of all ages coming together, do a bunch of classes. I've got a photo here of my favorite class. This is my favorite class. This was our technology class. And you may be wondering what sort of high-powered technology was going on. I got a little bit of their syllabus. It was, how do I log into Facebook? What's Wi-Fi and how do I use it? And how do I get a Google? Because I hear I need one of those. So it was awesome. I heard great things about all the classes, but this is my favorite one. I love that. Uh, I love, I love that just the intergenerational there, helping each other, sharing the skills we've got. I just love that. It's beautiful. Um, and, uh, and speaking of intergenerational, learning from one generation to another. That's sort of what we're doing in this series. Well, we're, we're trying to learn from some generations of God's people uh, around 2,500 years ago that have a lot to teach us in our present uh, generation. Uh, the moment we're studying is, is a moment called the exile. And this is just a name for a period in the history of God's people um, when uh, the nation of Babylon conquered uh, Judah, that was the nation of God's people, and deported them, kidnapped them, dragged them off to Babylon, and for 70 years, they lived in captivity in Babylon. And yet, during those 70 years, they kept their faith intact, they kept their faithfulness to God intact. Actually, uh, much of the Bible was written during this period. Um, it was actually a period of great spiritual fruitfulness and great spiritual integrity, even though they were under serious persecution and serious cultural pressure to abandon their faith. And, and so it's a time we can learn, learn from because we, like them, live in tension with our culture. We've been kind of, we've been making this observation the past few weeks, that a life patterned after Jesus and God's word will consistently call you to walk in a different direction from those around you. And we, we just said that um, we sometimes uh, get, act like we are surprised by that. Uh, but I would just say, parents, if you, or grandparents or whatever, if you have access to some kid under 20, I would make sure you tell them that. Say, don't be surprised when if you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to submit to God's word, you wind up having to walk in a different direction um, than people around you. Like, that shouldn't be surprising to us, yet we often act like it is. 
And we do lots, we react to this tension between the call of God's word and the culture around us. We react to this tension in lots of ways, right? You know, uh, some people see this tension and want to retreat from the world. We talked about that last week. Some people, though, see this tension between the call of God's word and, and the patterns of our culture, and they want to go to war, Right? Have you ever heard this phrase, you know, we're going to have a culture war? Have you ever heard this? You know, we're going to go to war. We're going to see those who disagree with us and we're going to attack the people who disagree with us or we're going to attack the people who are different than us. Maybe you've heard this phrase, culture war. If you've heard the phrase, just in case you're curious, you you didn't hear it from Jesus. Uh, You heard it from somebody else. Uh, But you do hear some interesting things from the Bible about our distinctive posture to our culture. You hear things like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Don't fit in. Don't be molded by the world around you, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, you know? Not a war, but a, but a distinction, right? Or maybe we go to First John and we hear things like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, it's from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And this, this is what we find in Scripture. Not an invitation to war, but an invitation to a life in contrast to the present age. A life in contrast to the present age, and that's hard to do. It is hard to swim up streams. It's hard to go against the tide. It's hard to walk into the wind. And yet, that's what God's word consistently calls us to. In fact, even during the exile, even during this period we were studying, God's people were not called to go to war. Even though they had lost a literal war, and been kidnapped and forced to live in a foreign land with foreign rulers and foreign gods and foreign values, you might have thought that the the invitation of God would be to form some sort of secret guerrilla force, right? To undermine the Babylonians and destroy them. But that isn't God's instruction. The prophet Jeremiah writes a letter to the Babylonians, I mean, to the, to, the, to the Israelites, to God's people, to tell them how to live in Babylon. Jeremiah 29, this is what he tells them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city. It's so hard for us, but just try for a minute to pause and feel what that advice 
would have felt like. They've been kidnapped, deported to Babylon. They're refugees. They've been there. Can we get that up on the screen? Yeah, yeah. They've been there just a little while. And the word of the Lord comes. Seek the welfare of the city. Everything in them would rebel against this word. Seek the welfare of Babylon? But that's what he says. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find welfare. They were called to bless their new homeland. Bless those who had cursed them. And to do that, they're going to have to live in a radically unique way. They're going to have to live lives of faithful distinctiveness. If they're going to bless Babylon, they can't blend in with Babylon, of course, right? That won't work. Right? If they just fit in with Babylon and accept the Babylonian gods and accept the Babylonian values and accept the Babylonian way of life, well, then they'll never be the blessing they were called to be. But they also can't go to war. So we've been looking to find out what did they do? What did God's people do when they found themselves living in a culture that was in opposition to their faith and their values and their scripture? We've learned a couple. Uh, Daniel, right there in Daniel chapter one, Daniel chose purity even when it was risky. He said, I'm not gonna eat your food. And he chose purity again and again and again throughout his life. Ezekiel, we looked last week, Ezekiel chose hope even in graveyards. Ezekiel said that even here in the graveyard, I believe that my God can turn bones into armies. And if you need a reminder that hope is real, that the hope we have in God is bigger than our present circumstance, maybe you should go check out last week's message. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. Go check it out on YouTube. Look on the church website. We want you to find that. For both of these people, this was a choice to live distinctively from their culture. The culture they were in taught them to abandon purity and fit in, to abandon hope and give up. And yet they chose a path of distinction. And if we're going to live faithfully in our present moment, that's what we'll have to choose as well. Jesus describes it this way. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. When the people of God lose their flavor, their distinctive taste, they're useless. I just I want you to just wrestle with that. Your own personal life in the world. When I lose my distinctiveness from the world around me, 
I'm useless. And the same is true from you. When, when we lose our distinctive purity, our distinctive hopefulness, we, we've lost our flavor. He says when salt loses its flavor, you don't, you know, it's not good for much. And this call from Jesus is still true today. We are invited to faithfully distinctive lives, agents of blessing, blessing in our world precisely to the degree that we do not fit in with our world. The more we fit in, the less we can bless. So today, let's learn one more essential skill from these faithful people of the time of the exile. We could make this series a lot longer, but we're just going to do one more. We're going to be in the book of Daniel again. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, we're in Daniel chapter 3. We've got Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, it's a long chapter and a fun chapter, so you may want to get it out and have it in front of you. It probably will help you. Uh, it's a great story, though. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 and just read a whole bunch, so I'll be moving fast. Try and keep up. Daniel chapter 3. One more skill for how to live faithfully in a culture that resists your values, your God, and God's word. How do we do it? Here we are. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the guy who deported them all, conquered Judah, kidnapped all the people. That guy. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore... As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language did fall down. That's not surprising, right? That's a pretty easy deal, right? You hear the music, you fall down, you live. You don't, you die. So they heard the music, and they fell down. Except, at this time, some wise men came forward, and they denounced the Jews. They told King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, some of God's people, whom you have set over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. These guys get ratted out, you know. Probably somebody who wants their job, I suppose. That makes sense. Easy way to get a promotion. 
to have the guys in charge of Babylon get thrown into a fiery furnace. Furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now listen, here's your chance right now. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready right now to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. It's all over. It was just a rumor. No harm, no foul. This is your chance right now. The music's going to play. The statue is there. You just have to bow, and it's all over. What you worship in your private time, who you worship in secret, that's up to you. I got no problem with that. Come on, everybody's got a God they worship on the side. But right now, the people are watching, and I got to know you'll do what I say. But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then tell me, what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the image of gold that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He'd been so chill, right? He'd just been like, guys, this is probably a misunderstanding. We're just going to play the music one more time. You can bow. We'll all get back to business. His attitude changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, commanded his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and outer clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't it three men that we just tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. But he said, look! I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. 
They trusted in him and defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar is clearly prone to violent pronouncements. Clearly. Like, man, every time this guy, this dude turns around, he's like, I have an idea, and if you disagree with me, I'll kill you. Like, this guy was a problem. But okay, anyways, all right. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is a great story. Just getting to say the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over and over and over again is half the fun of the story. It was clearly written to be told to children, right? You've got the list of all the instruments. You've got the list of all the jobs that gets repeated three or four times. I I, I, I think the author designed it so that we could tell this story easily and remember this story. I first heard this story from a woman named Joni Grimm. She was my children's minister when I was a little kid. And I still, when I read this story today, I can hear her say those names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can hear her list out all the instruments as she goes through the story. And this story is popular. It, it, it's really caught popular imagination. Throughout the, the last 2,000 years, pop music has always been writing stories of this, I mean, songs about this story. All throughout history. Uh, even in the last 100 years, Johnny Cash wrote a great version of this song called The Fourth Man in the Fire. Louis Armstrong recorded a magnificent, I tell you, if, just on your way home, uh, go to YouTube and type in Louis Armstrong Shadrach. His recording of Shadrach, it's a blues standard. I love Louis Armstrong's recording of Shadrach. Obviously, the Veggie Tales have a classic version of this song. Um, for those of my generation, the Beastie Boys even have a Shadrach, Meshach, and a Abednego go song. Um, it's probably not as great as I thought it was when I was 16, but anyways, but they do have a, a version of this song. And mostly when they tell this story, they focus on the end, which makes sense. The story has a great ending. These people put their trust in God and God comes through in the most dramatic way. The the fourth man appears, the name of the Johnny Cash song, the fourth man. And God rescues God's faithful people. And everyone sees that their God is the true God. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't agree that their God is the true God, I'm going to chop you up. Which I'm not sure that's a super happy ending, but anyways, that's how it ends. And I sure wish that that was our final lesson in our series on life in exile. I wish our final lesson was, if you just obey God, everything will always dramatically work out and your enemies will look like fools and you'll be the hero and they'll write songs about you for 2,000 years. I wish that was our final lesson. But that actually isn't the lesson of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the story about what God did. And the story about what God did is an important part of this story. It's most of the story. But we're trying to learn from what they did. How did Daniel make it through the exile? Purity even when it was risky. How did Ezekiel make it through the exile? 
hope even in graveyards. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make it through the exile? I want you to pay attention to a choice they made. Go back with me to the middle of the story. This is right after the rumor comes to Nebuchadnezzar that these guys won't bow. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, all reasonable like, remember he's still chill, Nebuchadnezzar, at this point in the story. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now listen, we're going to play the music again. When you hear the sound of the horn flute, zither lyre, harp pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, it's all good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And I want you to hear their reply. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. So God can deliver us, and he will deliver us from your rule. That phrase is sort of a pun. You could add in parentheses, one way or the other. One way or the other, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to be free of your rule in about five minutes. And then listen to what they say. This is what I want to learn. This is what Ethan Magnus, me personally, from my faith, this is what I want to learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And maybe you want to learn this lesson today too. They say, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is what a commitment to God sounds like. My God is able to make things work out the way I hope God will. We believe that ultimately, they say, my God will work things out the way we hope God will. But in this present moment, even if he doesn't, we aren't bowing down to your God's. We aren't going to worship this statue. God can deliver us, they say. And we believe that one way or another, we will be free of the rule of the evil king Nebuchadnezzar in about five minutes. But even if God doesn't, we stay faithful. That is the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's an even if God doesn't work things out the way I sure hope God will. We're going to stay faithful. This is the faith of those who have prospered. They have seen the blessing of God, but they have also suffered. These men have known joy and they have known great pain. They know God's ultimate promise. They've heard Jeremiah. They, these guys probably even met Jeremiah. They knew the prophets. That God would eventually redeem God's people, restore all things, and establish God's kingdom eternally. They knew the promise. 
but they also knew what the last five years had been like. Kidnapped three times. And they knew that the journey of obedience is often hard. And if, if I could just give you the third lesson in how to make it through the exile, how to live life in exile, the one we learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would call it this. We must be faithful in the face of uncertainty. Even if he doesn't, they say, we will not bend the knee. We will not worship your gods. I just want you to know, this road, the the even if he doesn't road of faithfulness, it is not a crowded road, okay? You don't need to worry that you'll be rubbing shoulders with too many people if you choose to walk the path of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because most people are walking a different road. Uh, Most people, their road of faithfulness sounds like this. When I know things will work out, sure, I'll do it God's way. Yeah, absolutely. If I can tell things are going to work out, I'm totally going to obey God on this one. Or, or, Or this way. It sounds like this. When God's way is the way I also wanted to do it already, then totally, I'll, I'll be faithful to God. Or when there's no chance of suffering or embarrassment, and when everybody around me applauds me for my faithfulness to God, well, then I will totally follow God's word. Yeah, absolutely. If it brings me kudos in this life, I'm in. And some of us, this is what our faithfulness looks like to God right now. This is what it looks like. Um, Some of us are telling God, I will trust your path as long as it doesn't lead through suffering. I will obey you today, God, as long as there are no negative consequences in my culture. I I will do things your way, God, as long as things work out quickly to my benefit in public But if not, I will seek another way. And I just want to warn you that if that is your approach to obedience to God, I'll obey God as long as it works out fast in public and there is no consequence and no suffering. Under those conditions, I'll obey God. If that's your approach to faithfulness to God in an exile culture, in an exile context, then your faith won't last the exile. That isn't the place we live. We don't live in a place where obedience and faithfulness and surrender to God never leads us to suffering or struggle or difficulty. That, that just isn't the world we live in. And so if you've decided in advance that I'll follow God as long as it's convenient, I'll obey God as long as it's comfortable, I'll be submissive to God's word as long as it, that brings me praise from the people around me, then you have decided in advance that you won't stay faithful. Instead, what we need to learn to do is we need to kind of maybe that, take that, look back at verses you know, 16, 17, 18 and kind of make this claim our own. I've kind of reworded what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar. The God we serve is able to bless obedience. The God we serve is able to deliver us, they say. And we believe that God will deliver us. We believe that God will bless obedience. Ultimately, that is what God promises and God is sufficient to do it. And the testimonies of God's faithfulness to God's obedient people are abundant. We have seen it happen. 
But even if he does not in this moment, we will not follow another Lord. That is a faith that will survive the exile. This is what Jesus said in the garden, right? He said, God, if there's another way, let's take it. God, if you can take this cup from me, let's do that. God, I believe you're able to solve this without a cross. But if you're not, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. And some of us are looking for a way to follow Jesus without carrying a cross. And Jesus hasn't come up with one of those. He says, everyone who seeks to follow me must take up their cross. That doesn't sound pleasant, right? Our long-term faithfulness to God depends on this commitment. You want to be faithful to God with your sex life. And I know it wouldn't be nice to say, God, I'll be obedient to you with my sex life as long as you promise that obedience to me makes my sex life fulfilling and wonderful and happy all the time. Well, if that's your deal with God, then you won't maintain sexual faithfulness. If you want to maintain sexual faithfulness, you got to say, even if it isn't, I'll be faithful to you. Academic integrity. God, I'll be, I'll be, I I won't cheat on tests. I'll be faithful with my academic. I'll work hard as long as you promise me straight A's. If that's your deal with God, you will not maintain academic integrity. You will eventually let your faithfulness fall. If you want to be faithful to God, you say, God, I will maintain my academic integrity even if I don't get the grades I wished for. Even if I don't, God, I won't choose another path. You can go, just everything that matters to you, resisting sin, God, I will resist this sin as long as you promise to remove this temptation from me. If that's your approach, you will not stay faithful. You need to learn to say, even if you do not, God, I will resist this sin even if I, you do not remove this temptation from me. I will still say no to this desire, even if it never goes away. This is the lesson of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I was a youth minister talking to a student. He'd, uh, he'd stolen a bunch of money uh, from a friend at a sleepover. Kid was also in our youth group. I found out because kids talk, you know. And I went to him, and I said, uh, he'd already spent the money. He couldn't give it back. I said, you got to tell this kid what you did. You got to tell him. And you got to tell his folks. I'll go with you, but you got to do it. Uh, you stole money from your friend. That's not okay. We read in the Bible about confessing sin and honesty and not stealing. And he asked a really reasonable question. He said, I don't have a lot of friends and this kid's been really good to me. Can you promise me that if I do the right thing, I won't lose my friend? If I go tell him and tell his folks that I stole money at the sleepover, Can you promise me 
that I won't lose my friend. I'm doing the right thing, and you're the preacher, and you're telling me this is what God wants. Can you promise me I won't lose my friend? And I, of course, had to say, no. He stole a huge pile of money from this kid. I don't know how this goes down. But Joni Grimm had taught me this story when I was a little boy, and she taught me about an even if he doesn't kind of faith. And so we actually read this story. I can remember where we were sitting on the back steps of that church. We read Daniel chapter 3. And we read, even if he doesn't. And I'm a preacher, so I talked about how greed can be an idol, you know? And you're bowing down to greed, and we, I made it a whole thing, you know, it got weird. Um, but at the end, I just said, no, I can't guarantee you how this works out. I know how it works out in the long run. I know in the long run, you are deciding whether you're going to be faithful to God or faithful to yourself. That's what you're doing. In the big picture, I know how it works out. But how this story ends, I do not know. And you're going to have to find the courage to say, I believe God can save. My God is able to save this friendship. I believe God, my God will save this friendship. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that God will. But even if God doesn't, I'm going to do the right thing in this moment. I'm not going to tell you how that story ended. Because that's the way even if he doesn't, faith works. I wish that all of our choices to be faithful to God happened when we knew the outcome to those choices. Wouldn't that be great? Like if your choices to be faithful to God only happened in circumstances where you knew the outcome to those choices and you could see how eventually, you know, God works all things to good and you could look all the way down the road and you're like, okay, okay, it's going to be a rough season, but God is going to work my faithfulness for good in the end. Wouldn't that be awesome? Man, if you know how to do that, you can preach next week. Absolutely. I'll give you the pulpit. It's all yours. You know how to do that. Because that isn't the way it works. We have to choose to be faithful to God even when we don't see the next step. We know the last step. I like to say the end of all things is glorious. If things aren't glorious, it isn't the end. I know the last step. And so I just want to say if today you're tempted to go to God with this bargain. God, I'll obey you as long as I never suffer. God, I'll be faithful to you as long as it's always convenient. God, I'll be obedient to you as long as it's always comfortable and pleasant and nobody makes fun of me. If that's the bargain you're going to God with, I just want you to know up front that faith will not last in our present cultural moment. Not this moment. I'm not sure there's ever been a moment when a faith like that would last, but it definitely isn't this one. But... The faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that'll carry you through. I believe my God is able to deliver me. I believe my God will deliver me from the masters of this world. One way or another, one day or another, I will be free of their tyranny. But even if it isn't today, I will not worship their gods, and I will not bow to their idols.
Purity when it's risky. Hope even in graveyards. Faithful in the face of uncertainty. Oh, and our God will lead us through the exile just fine. We'll be such a blessing while we're here. And in 70 years, the promised land. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, bless us. Give us the kind of faith that knows to trust you even when we don't know how it will work out. Help us to to learn this faith and strengthen this faith. We thank you for the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We thank you for the testimony of your rescue that reminds us that you are a God who is able to save. But we thank you that they chose to trust you and put you first and resist the idols of their culture even when they didn't know if you'd do it. And we want to be faithful like that. We pray this right now in Jesus' name. Amen.